The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. All right, this was a really big weekend. Big enough, actually, that we're going to depart a little bit from the usual 15 and 64, which is the last of the year, by the way, I think. Yeah, because we're going to do awards next week. I'm th- I think we probably will. So not going to get to all the teams, but a bunch of games we got to talk about from the weekend and do a little Western Conference first. And in fact, that's where I, I'd like to start just to bring us up to date on everything that happened over the weekend. Because there, are, in some ways, I think this weekend is going to determine a ton because there are a lot of the teams that are in contention with one another through various slots playing one another some unexpected wins and losses as well along the way i think where we need to begin though is today's game lakers and pels i mean we've been following this story now for a while not only because of the play-in aspect but also the deliciousness of that lakers pick that is looking a lot more delicious as delicious (laughs) as some jambalaya and beignets sorry maybe it's not gonna taste so much like barbecue ribs anymore but this is a a huge game for seating purposes as the Pels roar back from down 23 in the first half to win it final score was 116 108 there was crunch time but Lakers just couldn't score at the end and the Pels beat him up despite an awesome game from LeBron LeBron played 42 minutes he also sprained his ankle coming down on Jackson Hayes foot and said that it's in really bad shape he was surprised he could finish the game Lakers were crazy shooting the ball from three nine of ten on open threes in the first half and then they missed a bunch of wide open ones late. I think they only made one open three in the second half. Still shot 40% for the game, so they shot well enough to win overall, but couldn't stop the Pels down the end. Brandon Ingram made his return against his old team, 26 points in 26 minutes and five assists. But what does this do now for that 9, 10, 11? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh? Well, so it, it does a couple of significant things. So first of all, it puts the New Orleans Pelicans in the driver's seat. The Lakers have, in terms of opponent strength to schedule, they have the most difficult remaining slate of the teams that are kind of gunning for this. And the Pelicans have the easiest. The Pelicans average uh, opponent has won 47% of their games for the Lakers. That's 57%. So that's a pretty big difference. That doesn't include home road and specific contexts for various teams. And the Pelicans also now have a better record. They're thir- they are 32 and 43. And then the Lakers are 31 and 43. And I think the other connected story, and you brought this up with the 11, is San Antonio. They've now won three straight. They are now one game behind the Lakers in both the win column and the loss column. And they still have some, some beatable opponents 
on their schedule and so oh 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 would you say so at houston two in a row at home against portland 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 Portland, who by the way lost twice on back-to-back nights to the rockets at in portland over the weekend i I mean portland is the worst team in the league right now yeah easily in terms of just how they're playing like they i would be shocked if they win another game they've got yeah i mean maybe one of these games against like dallas or utah or something they've got at okc portland at okc maybe we should do a game around that one (laughs) that'd be interesting but yeah i mean portland is gonna win max Oh, they've actually got two more games against OKC. Oh, shit. Yeah, that's going to be fantastic. But in any event, but by the way, for you Prime subscribers, we're going to make Danny's essential remaining schedule book available. That's what I'm looking at for for all these. But yeah, I mean, the Spurs have basically, I I mean, they're going to win at least three times. The rest of their schedule is pretty difficult. They got Memphis, Denver, Minnesota, Golden State, Dallas. But they're going to win at least three more times. And you just wonder for the Lakers, unless AD comes back, where their wins are coming from here. They are, they got at Dallas, at Utah, home against New Orleans against denver at phoenix and here's the other thing too is like a phoenix golden state denver needs to win as well to stay out of the play-in utah needs to win so all these teams that they're going against except phoenix need to win but phoenix is going to want to keep the lakers out of the play-in for sure they don't want to play against potentially lebron and ad so really the lakers only game that they're going to be favored the rest of the way is home against okc maybe they'd be favored at home against new orleans but i i'm not sure so they are actually projected now to be the 11th seed for the first time after this weekend's event and for new orleans in some ways winning against the lakers but losing to san antonio that might actually be an optimal outcome for them if you think about it because that helps the spurs get in and be the potentially the 10th seed new orleans they might think that they can just they're projected now a couple games ahead of these guys so the loss doesn't hurt them that much and if that keeps puts the spurs ahead of the lakers that's to potentially give them an easier game in the play and like that would be optimal for the Pels and then here's the other aspect of this too the Knicks have won three straight the Wiz beat Golden State today at home with crazy three-point shooting so now it's looking like the Wiz and the Knicks are going to be clear of the Lakers regardless of whether the Lakers make the play in and so as long as the Lakers don't make the playoffs like that pick right now is projected to be eighth and so three teams would need to jump the Lakers who because remember it's the top 10 protected pick between new orleans who has it totally unprotected originally and then they gave 11 to 30 to memphis in the Bledsoe trade this offseason so it's looking pretty good for the pels to keep that pick and i mean hey the lakers like they could get a top five pick top four pick possibility I, I mean, it's really starting to look crazy. Memphis and Memphis basically get, you know, some crap, right? They get like two seconds if this pick doesn't convey. Well, so, oh, you mean you, so if it, the, yeah, the pick goes just as clarification, just to make sure, because we went through a bunch of stuff. Yeah. If if it's anywhere in the top 10, it goes to New Orleans. It doesn't matter whether it jumps into the top four. It's not protected for that. It was a, originally a fully unprotected pick. Right, right. But yeah, so uh, the and, question and is, yeah. And, and yeah. so if it goes into seconds, it would be Cleveland's 22 and New Orleans 25 seconds. So yeah, not exactly the strongest return. 
yeah, and Memphis was thinking they they would have that this is going to be like you know a late lottery pick for them, but it's uh could could get closer to early lottery at this point. So that's what's happening at the bottom of the West. None of the Jazz centers played. They got blown out by Dallas today. Dallas now for the first time is the four seed. Utah has lost four straight with some injuries, but they went on an East Coast trip and then finished up here in Dallas. So how's it looking now in the two through I guess seven range now for the West? Well, I think we might need to start exempting the two from that. The Warriors in particular losing to the Hawks and the Wizards pretty much makes a clear road for the Memphis Grizzlies. Even if John Morant doesn't return in the regular season, they are currently four games ahead in the loss column with only seven to play. I I just don't, I don't think the Warriors are going to win enough games to make that a reality. So then you start to get into that morass. And to me, the biggest story of that group is what's been happening with the Utah Jazz. So the Jazz, they got run by the Boston Celtics, talked about that game a little bit last week. Then over the weekend, they lost to both the Charlotte Hornets and the Dallas Mavericks in a huge like double swing game. So now the Jazz are behind the Mavericks in current seating and in the ra- uh, full season Raptor projections. So that would be right now it's Warriors at 52 Mav- and that 52 might be optimistic. It feels optimistic to me. 51 for the Mavericks, 50 for the Jazz, and then 49 for the Denver Nuggets who lost to the Suns and beat the Thunder over the weekend. And then the Wolves got their they got their lo- they got their win back against the Mavericks. We covered they did that game for the uh, for for Gamer last week over the weekend, and then they lost the Celtics. So right now they're projected at 47. So it is wide wide open for the I'll call it the three through the seven in the West. Yeah, that is uh, wide open, and Golden State only one ahead of Dallas is the projection. They're two ahead in the loss column, but the Mavs have that tiebreaker. Five through eight's projecting that Golden State is going to go four and three the rest of the way they are playing extremely poorly though other than that win in miami which (laughs) with miami's issues and we'll talk about that in a second doesn't look as impressive given how they've been and i think really it with the two locked up three is definitely where you want to be you don't want to be playing against the suns in the second round in the four five the four five historically is kind of a toss-up and yeah we just the grizz just continuing to win without john morant in some pretty difficult games They've just had no problems whatsoever. I think there's now 16 and two, either 15 or 16 and two without uh, Ja. And then what about in the East here? What do we need to look at there? Uh, we'll talk about Charlotte Brooklyn in a second, but that was a, a pretty big one for in that East play-in mix. It was, and it looked like Brooklyn was going to run away from that group of of the Nets, the Hornets, and the Hawks, and that would be for at minimum this the uh, the eight seed, but potentially they were going to jump up and that's still possible for Brooklyn like they have seven games left and they have some very winnable games on that slate but Charlotte getting that win it does tie them right now in terms of record Charlotte has a harder remaining schedule but it also makes it harder for Brooklyn to catch those teams above them I'm thinking of it and this group has gotten significantly thornier over the last little while and this will connect with some of the threads we're going to talk about in the 15 and 60 looked a week ago like Miami was going to not not float to the one seed but you know they had a pretty clear path that is they, now not they the were case. they had a three game lead in the projections a week ago they did and now they are currently in a three-way tie for second behind the Celtics the Celtics at 52 and then it looks like there's a split one and four and then the other teams and that's 52 
52 wins for the Celtics, 51 for the Sixers, Heat, and Bucks. Each of those teams has seven or eight games left. Then you have that group with the Raptors, Bulls, and Cavs, which the Nets are desperately trying to move their way into. And it just it'd be better for them if they could get all the way up. I, before they lost the Hornets, I was thinking that Brooklyn was going to end up getting the sixth seed, but it's a little bit murkier now. And also, even with the part of what makes the Knicks and Wizards wins so fascinating is that even with everything else, those teams are still mathematically alive in the playoff race, but they're not going to do it. But that doesn't prevent them from still having a better record than the Lakers, potentially. Yeah, yeah. And the Hornets, uh, they had a really big weekend as well, winning two games that they probably would have been considered underdogs in. The Nets did blow out Miami, and you know, everyone was really happy. They led by as many as 37 in a matchup that had really bothered them before. But then on the second night of a back-to-back, the Nets actually fell to 2-11 and with a, a rest disadvantage in the second night of a back to back but their remaining schedule is pretty easy i think they're only they play at home against milwaukee and they should be favored in the rest of their game so my thought is yeah they lost this one people are kind of freaking out they're technically in the nine seed but if they're actually good they should be able to outstrip the hornets and hawks and at least get into either the seventh or eighth seed and if they're not good then you know like it, it wouldn't have mattered anyway they weren't going to make any noise in the playoffs so i like it, to me all they're they're not in such a bad position that just playing well can't get them out of it unlike maybe the lakers at this point so this is the second night of a back-to-back kd and kyrie were horrible kyrie really struggled other than a personal eight point run in that the fourth quarter at one point he was two of 17 in in this hornets game also the hornets shot crazy from three the nets were awful so i I don't think that just because of this loss you need to hit the panic button if you're brooklyn necessarily Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 2015. And I think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners. If you've never heard it before, that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom. And there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one-size-fits-all. They found the one formula, the one mattress that was going to work for everyone. My then-girlfriend, now-wife, and I ordered that mattress. We ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone is the same. And then she did some more research and found Helix Sleep. We took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types. And uh, Helix offers 20 unique mattresses. Everybody sleeps differently. And Helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences, hot or cold, side sleeper, back sleeper. So take that Helix sleep quiz, find your perfect mattress in under two minutes and it's shipped straight to your door, free of charge. It's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home. You're like, well, how should I order this if I can't sleep? I'm like, yeah, you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where, do I take my shoes off? Do I leave my shoes on? But then my feet kind of hang off the bed because I don't want to put my shoes on the bed. And is it weird that I'm laying here for more than 30 seconds? You can't tell anything under those circumstances. You might as well just order it, get it sent to your house, get that 100 night trial they're 10 to 15 year warranty depending on the model and there's never been a better time to try a helix sleep mattress because they are offering 20 percent off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace easier slash capspace we talk about all the time here on the program that's helixsleep.com slash capspace this is their best offer yet i can attest to that since i've been working with them for nine years and it won't last long with helix better sleep starts now don't forget that slash capspace url to let them know that you came from us man i just love 
American Giant. Just an amazing clothing company. I was reminded again of how much I love it when I drove from California to Montana over the All-Star break. And you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold, particularly when it starts off warm in the bay and then we get into some really cold areas. You're like, well, I don't want to wear like my jacket in the car, but then I get out to fill gas. I'm going to be freezing, but the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm, it's not too hot as well. So I was able to wear it in the car, not be too hot, step out of the car and still be warm enough when I was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that I didn't feel like I needed my jacket, even when it was cold outside. These things are amazingly durable. I proposed to my wife wearing an American Giant hoodie in the Grand Canyon almost seven years ago. I still own that same hoodie. I still wear it constantly. And American Giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing, like their premium Slub Crew tee, the No BS High Rise Pant, the Slim Roughneck Pant featured in Giant Magazine, Issue 2. Every American Giant piece is made in America and designed to last no exceptions, and it provides year-round comfort. So find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use that finisher code CAPSPACE at checkout. Please remember, we talk about CAPSPACE all the time. I'm here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us um anything else you wanted to talk about for the east here no i think there are a couple little threads that we that we might get into in the sections that we talk about for those teams well well a couple more things to talk about at the top the celtics Oh, yeah, okay, remaining schedules and stuff. What did you say? Sorry, go ahead. Uh, The Celtics go to Toronto tomorrow night. They've declined to say whether all of their players will be eligible, which means that some of them wouldn't be, (laughs) because otherwise they would just say yes. They had a bunch of guys who were questionable coming into this game when they, again, just completely destroyed Minnesota. So they're probably going to not bring their guys tomorrow to Toronto. I think they also very much want the Raptors to win, because if they have players who are not eligible, and actually I think they would literally be out of time at this point to get or maybe a johnson and johnson dose could get you maybe one dose would be enough for hannah but in any event they don't want to play the raptors i think a lot of teams don't want to play the raptors and so they're going to be the celtics if they can give the raptors a win here and push them into you know the four or five i think they're not that worried about actually honestly being the four seed at this point so it could still happen i mean as you mentioned all those teams are projected for you know 51 or 52 wins so unexpected results here or there could change it yeah let's uh where do you want to start here about uh, as we get into some of these games over the weekend well we're already talking about the celtics you want to just start there yeah i think so i mean we didn't talk about that game too much uh, as they totally destroyed the wolves but the celtics now after this win what are their fundamentals the Boston Celtics are 47 and 28 on the year, a super strong 8 and 1 since the last 50 and 60. They are second in cleaning the glasses version of net rating at plus 6.9 per 100 possessions, 13th in offense, still first in defense. And 538's Raptor model projects that they will win 52 games, which is first by themselves in the Eastern Conference. And they have not yet technically clinched the playoffs, but they will in a matter of days. And for those interested, the ELO model also has the Raptors finishing with 52 wins and also being first by themselves. 
themselves in the East. Yeah, so the big concern, though, for the Boston Celtics is Rob Williams was ruled out of this game. He last appeared with 245 remaining in the third with Boston up by 20. They had no need to bring him back in, but he's already been ruled out for the next game. He's going to have some imaging. They called it a left knee sprain for why he didn't return, and Ime Yudoka said that he was in significant pain. His quote was, don't know exactly what happened. He said it wasn't even a specific play that he remembers, but came out of the game, had some pain, obviously went back to get checked out and was in quite a bit of pain and he'll get scanned in the morning and we'll know then he also said that there's some lateral knee soreness on that left knee i watched the whole third quarter because i wanted to see if i could get a look at it you know i was searched on twitter and nobody had a video of it and I couldn't see anything either. I mean, he just sort of seemed to progressively be in more and more pain as the quarter went on and grow less and less active to the point where you, you could see at that timeout with 245 left, he was kind of rubbing his left knee on the outside a little bit, and then you just didn't see him again. So who knows what the heck happened to him, particularly if it's a sprain and he had soreness on the outside. I don't really quite understand what that might be. A knee sprain usually means that there's some sort of a ligament issue. So that's obviously concerning they do i mean hey center is the one position where they have some depth but i also i don't see them as a contender for the eastern conference crown without robert williams going at full speed do you agree i agree they are more of they're as great as jason tatum has played they're more of an ensemble cast as a playoff team and you need robert williams to make a lot of their defensive plans work and to just have the functional depth in your rotation daniel tice can step in but if you lose robert williams from the rotation you lose some of what makes them pop so jason tatum is getting a lot of all NBA buzz in about a week or so we'll we'll try to see how realistic that is certainly the on-off numbers are extremely impressive for him but looking at this year overall versus last year remember again he always seems to really struggle at the start of the year and then really come on I think this is the third straight year that that's been the case but his overall stats are almost are like eerily the same he's got one percent higher usage he's taking five percent more of his shots as threes but he's 39 percent from three last year down to 35 percent this year although he's certainly way on the upswing he spent a lot of the early part of the season around 30 percent. there are eerie similarities in terms of where he's taking his shots and the percentage made if you look at really each of the ranges on basketball reference the one thing you can point to is he's turned a few shots from the four to 16 foot range into three pointers getting a few more offensive rebounds free throw rates gone from 0.25 to 0.29 the on off numbers are much better and he is eighth in the nba in epm 5.6 epm from dunks and threes the biggest thing that you could point to in terms of how he's been scoring is that his isolation efficiency is much better now like there has been a time when jason tatum was one of the worst high volume isolation players in the nba and that's now no longer the case he's still probably overrated there but he's now 19 percent of his possessions in isolation almost exactly the same as last year but he's gone from 0.82 to 0.91 points per possession so now he's slightly above average in isolation scoring efficiency and again same percentage of his shots the thing that that was really interesting to me though is he is not actually doing as much self-created this year as he was last year which is interesting you know Kemba Walker was in and out of the lineup but they had 
they did have another point guard the whole idea this year was oh you know they don't have great passing he has to do so much more on the ball and that's actually not the case he's getting more of his shots this year as spot ups that's gone from 11 percent of his possessions to night or sorry 17 percent doing a little bit more in transition less in the post he's also coming off of screens away from the ball more often to get open and shooting as well so he's worked more from the wings off the ball which has been relatively effective for him well, and, and Nate, another way of putting that is that yeah. one of the stats on basketball reference is the purport, the proportion of your made field goals, important that it's made field goals, not attempted, easier to quantify, that are assisted. And last year, Tatum, 38% of his three of his twos were assisted, 47% of his threes. 38% is up to 42%. But then the bigger one, 47% of his threes being assisted, that's up to 58% this year. Yeah, so, that's, that's a huge number. And so I think that's part of why he's been able to be more effective is that he hasn't had to just just pound the air out of the ball in isolation now i also looked at maybe why it is statistically that he's better in isolation this year and we know he had struggled to finish a lot early in the season uh, those numbers have improved quite a bit as well but the biggest difference synergy tracks on isolations whether the player shoots the jumper without driving or puts the ball on the floor it's not perfect categorization i wish they uh put it into three categories because the drives includes pull-up jumpers and you know that one dribble drive and then pull up but they, they differentiate basically between if you get the ball in an isolation and then you basically just shoot it without penetrating at all and the in terms of frequency it's basically about the same in the mid to high 40 percent both last year and this year the number of times in isolation that he shoots the jump shot without drive which seems like a pretty high number to me although i would like to look at some other players to confirm that at a later point point. and then the bigger difference though is that when he put the ball on the floor he was 20 25th percentile he was bad last year under 0.8 points per possession this year now he's up to 50th percentile when he puts the ball on the floor in those situations so it's really his drive game out of isolation that is improved and some of that is probably a hard drive into a pull-up jumper rather than getting all the way to the rim but as you watch him on film that stands out as well that he's just a little bit stronger it's still like over the course of the season very much incremental improvement in terms of all of his individual statistics but it, it is pretty interesting to see that it's just it hasn't been as dramatic when you look at the whole season as I think a lot of people would say that it has and there's another little anomaly here that I thought was fascinating Derek White one asked there's a reason that he's been considered one of the best guards in the NBA because he's basically doing something defensively these last two years that no other guard is doing right and I, I think this probably is a part of the models really liking Derek White and that's that he's contesting a large number of shots at the rim and doing extremely well in terms of opponent field goal percentage. Yeah, I looked at shots challenged at the rim by players under 6'7". Derek White has challenged 199 shots at the rim. That's eighth most among anyone in the league in under 6'7", in terms of shots challenged at the rim. Now, challenge doesn't necessarily mean challenge. It means you're within five feet of a guy who's shooting at the rim. So Some perimeter players might just be there because they got beat or something and they're not actually affecting the shot but Derek White we've 
seen on film too he is a really good help defender he's allowing only 53 percent and remember even like the best centers are in the 50 percent range low 50s maybe high 40s if they're absolutely elite so that's a that would be a good number for a center 53 percent and among players under 6-7 the next best guy allows 58 percent so that is a crazy number and you know some of that is taking charges and they wouldn't even count a charge because though a charge wouldn't count as a shot attempt as well but he just he can leap he's got great help instincts he just puts himself in there and i wanted to say all right is this just a fluky number no last year actually he was at 54 percent allowed uh, again a very good number only played 36 games the year before that he challenged a lot of shots the number wasn't as good it was in the 60s which is a that's about what you would expect for a guard maybe even high 60s for most guards but and surely playing for the spurs with Jakob Pertl behind you uh, part of the season and then the Celtics who have a bunch of other guys behind him as well just because he's marked down by the tracking data as having been within five feet doesn't mean someone else wasn't within five feet who was also affecting the shot but especially considering this is the second consecutive year and just as you watch him he'll jump he's got good help instincts well, so and, I do and, think there's something real there and not only the consecutive second consecutive year but Derek White has changed teams you know he played a fair portion sure. of this year on the Spurs but that makes it you know that's another piece of information here as well ah the sweet sound of sports you love from sling the collide of football pads the squeak of shoes on a basketball court the crack of the bat on a home run the slice of skates cutting across the ice but what about this one that's the sound of all the sports you love all at once starting at $40 a month experience it all live with sling sling anyone who's seen our youtube videos knows that i don't wear formal stuff all the time so when it's time to dress up rather than dress down i highly recommend inochino they were the official outfitter of my wedding i got my tux from there all my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well i felt really good about having them be the outfit of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly because when you go somewhere else you're not going to get something that's made for you so why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you and not only does indochino have the suits that made them famous but now they've got everything blazers pants women's wear outerwear designed and made for you hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from european wools linen cottons tons of colors tons of patterns you can customize things like the lapel the vents the pockets and you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style level up your game with indochino go to indochino.com use the code capspace using our capspace we talk about all the time here on the program you get 10 percent off any purchase of 399 dollars or more that's 10 percent off at indochino i-n-d-o-c-h-i-n-o indochino.com and don't forget that capspace code to let them know that you came from us all right, where do you want to go next, sir? Let's go to another important game that happened over the weekend. Bulls-Cavs. Yeah, yeah. The Bulls are 43-31 and 31 after this thrilling win uh, against the Cavs. They are 4-6 and six since the last 15-60. and 60. Their offense has fallen off quite a bit. They're now 10th in offense. DeMar DeRozan has been struggling. Teams have been double-teaming him a lot. Savaging only around, I think, 25 points a game in March after 34 in February. 
and some of their crazy shot making including from Damara has gone down but they've fallen of course all the way to 21st on defense they project for 47 wins which would be a tie for fifth in the conference 97 percent chance of the playoffs per raptor and 97 per elo that has solidified some with their victory over the Cavs on saturday night it was an extremely important win for clarifying which team should be threatened by the potential ascension of the brooklyn nets which we both expect to happen because these teams are both a little bit vulnerable and a number of significant developments in this game but for me the place to start is one that might i mean that might not necessarily be the focus for everyone and that's the importance of alex caruso to the theory of this bulls team especially with lonzo ball unavailable for the foreseeable future because what caruso being back allowed the bulls to do is they were able to have caruso and Desunmu, and mo- more often than not billy donovan wanted Desunmu on darius garland and caruso on lavert but they you know switched up caruso guarded yeah, I, I think guard- i think they mentioned that that in post game with the idea being that Caruso they wanted him to kind of be freed up to be yes. more of a roamer and help defender and that was extremely destructive Caruso was only credited with two steals but he had two steals and one deflection in the first quarter alone he was around a lot and the the Cavs were very cognizant of him and so what that allows Billy Donovan to do is something you and I talked about at length in that Mavericks Timberwolves game that we did last week which is your two best offensive players don't need to guard the other team's best offensive players and against the Cavaliers without Jared Allen in particular it made it so much more tenable for Chicago defensively this they held Cleveland to a 107 roughly offensive rating in this game and Darius Garland did have a couple of bright moments and Karis LeVert I thought he was awful in the first three quarters and then he had a big run in the beginning of the fourth might have been late third was where it started but no I think it was the fourth quarter and and so having those capable defenders and they could you know Javante Green came off the bench and Patrick Williams played a little bit he wasn't a striking there but the Bulls have they're they're close enough to their critical mass of strong defenders to make the theory work and then that allowed their best offensive players to function function better and to not be attacked as much now there were a couple times when DeRozan in particular was in a bad matchup and when the Cavs had those advantages I thought they did a pretty good job attacking them but when they didn't have an advantage the wheels just fell off the wagon pretty quickly also not helped by the Cavs making seven of 31 threes including there was a run when Kevin Love had like three wide open ones and missed all of them so some of that is going to you know regress to the mean and the Cavs will have a better offensive performance just by making the shots they should make but having two big offensive threats especially as a regular season exercise is so important because even if the opponent is defending one of them well and I thought for most of the game the Cavs did a good job on DeRozan. DeRozan ended up having a totally fine night statistically and he ended up hitting some big shots in the fourth quarter but they did a good job on him I, Lamar Stevens deserves some credit Okoro a, a had some time a bunch of different guys I thought did pretty well making DeRozan shots hard and he's going to make some of those he's a really good player but instead it was Levine that to me looked like the best player on the floor for the first three quarters he was getting some mismatches he was attacking and so the idea that a team can slow down one player but probably can't slow down two and I like that it was this game because that's been my criticism of the Cavs as a playoff team for a while now and this was a challenging Evan Mobley offensive game I thought that he going against Vooch 
and DeRozan and Tristan Thompson. Like those are the primary covers for him. He was settling too much for jumpers in four of those, but also wasn't really getting great shots around the basket. And the juxtaposition of playing against Vooch actually reminded me of one of my bigger criticisms of Mobley offensively. And he'll get better with time is that he doesn't aggressively attack mismatches. Like he doesn't, he doesn't make the like Nurkic, Jokic mash. He doesn't, and, and Mobley doesn't have that physical advantage. He doesn't have the tools in the toolbox yet. And it was funny going against Vooch because the storyline for me of this game for the for the Cavs defensively, the biggest mistake they made was when Nikola Vucevic had an advantage or even like even kind of close to a neutral, the Cavs were sending an extra guy. And to me, the best thing Vooch does in those circumstances is pass. He's not as good at, he never draws fouls. He doesn't make a ton of shots necessarily around the basket. So what Cleveland was doing was they were giving Chicago exactly what they wanted in those moments. And that was a part of what led to Caruso getting a couple open threes. That led to a couple of Javante ones that didn't go in. And the idea that both of these teams at times did a poor job of kind of understanding the situation and conceding things that they didn't need to concede. A couple of things that stand out uh, for me on this. Uh, number one, you mentioned Levert came on a little bit late, but the Bulls were in control most of the way. Cavs made it a, a late run, but Cleveland had only 35 points at halftime. Yeah. And so they were fighting from behind all game. Levert in this one overall, 7 of 14 from the field, didn't make a three. And that, that's been another problem. I think they are so limited when they're playing either a Coro or Stevens that having Lavert struggle from three can be a problem. Uh, he did have 17 points, so it was negative three. And overall in Cleveland now, 11 games. Remember, he had the, the foot issue. He's back from that now. Kind of about what you'd expect. He's shooting 33% from three, not taking a ton of them. He started two games, including this one. Overall, though, a little bit worse efficiency than you would like for 48% true shooting or even worse efficiency than what you would expect from him usage is actually lower as well which is i think is kind of interesting considering that they really brought him in to be that second guy in the perimeter they do have some mouths to feed in the front court too so that's that's one thing that sticks out to me do you have any further thoughts on like whether he was able to help them generate good offense in this game i Levert wasn't creating advantages enough and the Bulls having two good defenders. I mean, when he was going against Caruso, that's not really as much of an advantage matchup for Levert. But the shooting, I think you bring that up is extremely important because especially with Jared Allen out, there aren't that many players on the Cavs that really put fear in your heart. And that's another argument against Lowry Markkinen. Markkinen took seven threes. He's going to make more than one of those most of the time, but he's not instilling fear in the opposing defense. And so that allowed the Bulls to load up a little bit when they needed to and they didn't need to that often on Darius Garland and they were able to force some turnovers overall and so Levert and this goes back to a criticism that you and I levied when the trade happened it's not that Karis Levert is an awful basketball player it's that he doesn't give the Cavs what they need most of the time and then the other reason that's a huge problem is on the defensive end that Levert is not a consistent defender he's not a reliable defender that mattered a little bit less against the Bulls but it mattered because someone had to guard Zach Levine and it pretty much couldn't be Garland or Levert so that that puts so much on Isaac Coro and the help structures that Cleveland has. One other thing that I wanted to talk about is Darius Garland played 44 minutes in this one plus four in a game that they lost by four. Yep. Jetty Osmond played six minutes as the backup point guard. He was negative eight in those six minutes but Darius Garland's minute totals are getting completely insane hurt by a couple of overtime games which they did win but he still would have been on track for over 40 
minutes in those games since their loss to the bulls on the second night of a back-to-back on march 12th in which garland played 42 minutes and remember he missed a bunch of time with this back issue came back right at the beginning of march he thought it was reported that it's something that's going to be managed all season and since then he hasn't played fewer than 38 minutes since that uh march 12th second night of a back-to-back against the bulls and he's been 41 minutes or more in every game but two and those are the two that he played 38 and his performance hasn't been awful he does have just a massive load for this team his three-point shooting has been pretty bad he's he's been 25 percent or worse on threes in all but two of those games since march 12th but he's just had such a high load that he's been in the 20s and scoring pretty much all the time and so you know jb bickerstaff kind of an old school coach like he's really pushing him they didn't play brandon goodwin at all rondo hasn't been available but i think the idea that oh yeah we can get karis levert that'll take the burden off garland Uh, apparently jb bickerstaff doesn't feel like he can take garland off the floor even though they do have levert now and that's that's definitely disappointing and you just wonder whether this load is sustainable for him he is young so hopefully it's not going to be a, a big issue but I and mean, he's basically been the highest minutes load player in the league i think over the last you know whatever it is eight or nine games so we don't forget it cleveland's stats overall 41 and 33 on the season plus 2.3 net rating is 11th in the nba they're 19th in offense and fifth in defense and importantly for the raptor model has projected them with 45 wins which is seventh so that throws them into this mix and that's a big part of why the raptor model two weeks ago when we did the 1560 cleveland's odds of making the best of eight were 84 percent. now they're 63 percent because if you you if you're in the top six you're guaranteed a spot if you're not in the top six then you have to actually win your games and also some of that, those teams that's crazy to think of because you know about mid-season a lot of these 538 wasn't but like uh they're number one in srs yes part and, and everyone's like oh man like they have this great record and then their schedule is super easy the rest of the way and then the injuries hit to some degree with garland at back up point guard with Lavert now with Jared Allen marking in at the high ankle sprain although I don't know how much that really hurt them Dean Wade is out now for them too so they've definitely had the injuries but they probably were a little bit over their heads as well and so yeah that's I mean we'll see what happens the rest of the way I mean what's what's their remaining schedule what do you think they're going to go the rest of the way if we look at it objectively here the Cavs have seven or sorry they have eight games left um they host Orlando then they have a home road back-to-back where they face the Mavs and the Hawks and they have to travel to Atlanta for that second game that's always tough then they have a road home back-to-back where they play at Madison Square Garden then they host the Sixers that's not exactly the easiest travel either then at Orlando at Brooklyn and then hosting Milwaukee and the the really bad news for Cleveland is that it looks like those Philly Brooklyn Milwaukee games as we know things right now all of those really talented teams are going to be trying that's not going to be a circumstance where they're going to get the benefit of of timing so they have you would I would argue two kind of schedule wins against the Magic, but the Magic have been frisky. We'll talk about them probably tomorrow. And But then everyone else is, is, is going for something. And without Jared Allen, there aren't that many. First of all, the Cavs only have one home game left against a team that I think they are clearly better than, which is the Orlando Magic. And so I think it's I think they're going to struggle. I, my instinct right now is that they're going to finish seven. Yeah, getting Jared Allen back would really help. He's been working with a splint. It's going to be, I don't think it's going to be healed. It's just going to be a matter of pain tolerance and functionality with this splint, but it doesn't sound like he's necessarily close at this point in time. Ah, the sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. 
the slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love, all at once. Starting at $40 a month, experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Let's talk about now this Brooklyn-Charlotte game. Yeah, and... I'll, I'll start with Brooklyn's fundamentals before we get into yeah. it. The Nets are now 39-36. and 36. They are 6-3 and three since the last 15-60. They're positive in net rating, plus 0.5 is 17th, 7th in offense, 24th in defense. Remember back when they were in the top 10 in defense. And the Raptor model projects that they will win 44 games, which is 8th. That's also only one behind the Cavs for 7th. Really, the difference there is home court in a theoretical game that those two teams would play against each other. But it's not that far to 6th than everything else. And the Raptor odds, 77% of making it in the final 8 and 58% on ELO which probably fueled in part by that loss to Charlotte on Sunday. And I brought this up with the Cavs. The Nets are the other side of this equation. Brooklyn's Raptor playoff odds went from 48% to 77% in part because of their play and in part because of the model now expecting Kyrie Irving to play in home games the remainder of the season. Yeah, and they have a a number of home games remaining. I I think they're going to be favored in all but one of their remaining games. Not that they're going to go 6-1, and but they will be favored in that, I I would guess. This game, uh, the way it ended, was very apropos of the the way it went throughout nets actually took a 14 point lead in the first half charlotte roared back and just kept bombing three pointers they finished 17 of 32 from downtown and the nets were 7 of 34 nonetheless Kyrie is two out of 17 scores eight straight points to get him back into it it was 102 93 and Kyrie basically went on this personal run got to the foul line he attacked off the dribble in transition a couple times hit a a tough iso as well He, he finished six of 22 from the field one of nine from downtown so Nets actually take the lead and then Charlotte they're up 106 105 on two Kyrie free throws and then Charlotte makes four three pointers in the last 230 of the game they close it on a 15 to 4 run to win 119 100 and they bring in cody martin and that was a brilliant substitution from james borrego to get more defense on the floor he hit two three-pointers of those four that they made uh then they ice it with a rosier pick and pop with miles bridges handling the ball and so again when the nets were 7 to 34 from three and charlotte was 17 to 32 charlotte shot 38 percent on twos and won this game wow it was a super fast game too as they had a 170 offensive rating but Honestly, I think the Nets, like, I didn't think the Nets defense really looked that bad. I mean, they, they ended up giving up 32 three-pointers, which is not a huge number to a Charlotte team. And just the fact that KD was 9-24 and Kyrie was 6-22, of and that's why Brooklyn ended up losing. KD played the entire second half, 42 minutes on the second night of a back-to-back. Kyrie played 41 minutes. They really needed this one. They went for it, just couldn't get it. Um, um, speaking of yeah. that, Goran Dragic played 30 minutes in this game after playing 
playing 21 in his Miami return on Saturday. Yeah, you know, I don't think he's better than Patty. I he, firmly agree. He, he's got a little more size. Maybe he just doesn't get attacked as much. I, I mean, they have spent a lot of time out there with him, Curry, and Kyrie. So he's like, maybe he looks a little bit more like he can play the three. Like their closing group was those three guards, KD and Andre Drummond, which again, I, I question a little bit, but Drummond uh, played well statistically in this game, although with 20 points, didn't do much in the fourth quarter at all, though. It had three blocks and three steals. He still somehow was negative eight. Uh, and he had a couple of defensive flubs where he wasn't able to get out, out on the floor very well. Like he uh, tried to go under an Isaiah Thomas 5 1 pick and roll like with Plumley handling the ball, and he couldn't get back in front of Plumley, and Plumley dunked on his head with like a two hand double pump dunk. Uh, Plumley also had, had his own uh, aesthetic issues <laughs> in this game, too, but that was a pretty sweet play. I'm just like Patty Mills played 12 minutes. He's plus 16. Dragic to me is not like he's effective with the ball. Like he, all right, he could make an open spot up, but he's not going to shoot shots on the move, really. Like so, I, I, I do. I mean, Patty Mills is a devastating shooter, and he adds an element that even Seth Curry doesn't add a, as a movement shooter. Like Patty Mills is a much more versatile jumper than Seth Curry. So I would be trying to get more time than 12 minutes for Mills and 30 minutes for Dragic necessarily. Before we move, before we get into other threads of this, I want to get the Hornets stats out there. 39 and 36 on the year now tied with the Brooklyn Nets seven and three since the last 1560 plus one net rating it's 14th in the NBA eighth in offense 20th in defense and they are currently tied the models with the Raptors 42 wins to, sorry not the Raptor the Raptor model 42 wins tied for ninth with the Atlanta Hawks which would be the 9-10 game and between a you know 33% chance of making the best the, the final eight with Raptor 46% with ELO and we should also note that if you are interested in the Hornets, you can watch Nate and I talk about them on the NBA strategy stream. They will see how they respond on the back-to-back. They're hosting the Denver Nuggets. That game's at 7 Eastern and 4 Pacific. Oh, man. Jokic versus Plumley. Can't wait. Yeah, that, that will be a fascinating one. And that Charlotte's definitely going to need this one as well. They, Charlotte didn't play guys quite as many minutes. Um, You, you mentioned the 17-32 and 32 three-point shooting. And LaMelo Ball was, I mean, he is kind of, the way that he plays as a really good three-point shooter and a very poor two-point shooter is the, the entire team mirrored him and uh he was seven to twelve from three three out of nine from two had nine assists plus 13 33 points but i don't think he scored in the fourth quarter actually i think he had 33 after three did play 37 minutes but they they don't run a lot through him in the clutch they have a very scattershot offense whether it's rosier he'll run some pick and rolls They'll, they got that key pick and pop three for him late when miles bridges was handling the ball miles bridges actually was 9 of 24 from the field 6 of 18 on twos in this game so he was very aggressive usually finishes great at the rim not so good elsewhere but between Bridges Ball PJ Washington is in the starting lineup because Hayward is still out they were able to start the game off by going into the post against Seth Curry they the Nets cleaned that up but then Charlotte started hitting threes some of it off of that penetration let's see what else uh, really stuck out to me it was I was surprised to see that the Nets had 30 assists on 43 field goals now that ratio if Kyrie and KD had just made all of their isolation shots it might have been different I did think though that their crunch time offense and just overall in the fourth quarter was not very good Kyrie attacked in transition that's when he got those eight straight points but he didn't do much 
much aside from that i thought that Kyrie missed some passes in terms of just like quick hitters around the perimeter to open shooters or he had guys breaking free underneath a couple of times when he was on the wing and just didn't see him kd i I thought this was indicative of some of the nets just personnel struggles kd was struggling as i mentioned he didn't sit in the second half it was a play early in the fourth where he drove left had just hit a shot for once pump faked a guy in the air but another guy had come over from the near side corner james johnson was in the corner and kd looked off james johnson to take a double teamed floater off a pump fake that even for him i mean you might say there are no bad shots for kevin durant but this was a bad shot even for him but he just did not want to throw it to a wide open guy in the corner because he just didn't trust him to make that shot which i thought was a little bit troubling isaiah thomas continues to look pretty decent and they when he's out there he only played 12 minutes but they run most of the stuff through him they have some creative stuff and he looks to me he had has had a couple of acrobatic finishes which ever since he had the hip issue at the end of 2017 he hasn't been able to finish at all he actually looks to me better athletically than he has they even tried to post up Kyrie on him a couple of times and he actually stopped Kyrie twice I mean you know Kyrie missed the shot he could have made it but it wasn't terrible defense it was he wasn't just getting completely destroyed the way we've seen from him in the past so he definitely showed why he's on this team and he's given them good minutes at backup point guard since they moved on from Ish Smith well and it's a reminder for Isaiah and so thrilled for his success that of how important it is to get 48 good minutes of shot creation of point guard play because the Hornets were so bad in those minutes in that interim gap between Ish Smith and Isaiah Thomas and it really hurt their team yeah speaking of that trade only seven minutes for Montrez Harrell and he had been good in the game against the Jazz he had 18 points I think they just felt like he couldn't hold up defensively and they just wanted to do a lot more of PJ Washington at center they even went to some way smaller groups than that with neither of those guys at center uh Plumlee played 27 minutes and I, I thought was pretty decent in this one defensively had some key offensive rebounds what do you think the Nets closing lineup to be if you if you had to decide just in obviously it's somewhat personnel but it, it is somewhat personnel based but Kyrie KD obviously I I think I like not that you have to choose between them but I think I like Seth Curry over Patty Mills though you could make an argument in certain circumstances that it would be Patty then center du jour whether that's Claxton or Drummond I don't think you can pull off Katie at center against most good opponents I'm surprised that I mean because like Drummond had 20 points right that's why he was out there but I felt like Claxton would have given them more I agree defensively particularly like particularly against the Hornets um who are making all the shots you want to have bodies out them on uh, out there on the perimeter they're not I mean, there are certain guys that can do a lot around the basket. but And then that last spot, I still think Bruce Brown's a really good player, but certain circumstances, and I mean, he's limited, but those limitations are somewhat masked on this team. So I, I, but it is very context-dependent, and there isn't a guy that I love for that fifth spot. Yeah, and again, I think they, you know, this is really an offensive loss for them. The Hornets just shot the lights. You know, one of those Cody Martin three-pointers in the last 230 of the game was a one-legged three with the shot clock running down, right? It wasn't necessarily bad defense defense i mean if you if you force a team to shoot 38 percent from two i feel comfortable saying that you played good defense in that game no matter what they shot from three and so overall i'm like i said i'm not gonna hit the panic button for the nets especially just kd and Kyrie going a a combined 15 out of 46 just not gonna happen very often and they won't be on the second night of a back-to-back in the playoffs or play in uh, assuming they get there which i i mean they're definitely gonna make it to the play and it's just a question of what they're going to be let's finish up here this isn't 
strictly Eastern Conference, but I wanted to talk about the Philly and Phoenix game. And part of why I was so excited to watch this one, it wasn't necessarily on my list because normally I would just watch a game between two East teams so that we could bang out two of them for the East 15 and 60. But I really wanted to watch this one because it's actually two healthy teams playing against each other and playing hard who are good which you just don't see very often anymore you have, you have to you have yeah. to relish these circumstances uh before yeah. we get into the game the stats on it the sixers are 46 and 28 on the year seven and four since last 1560 they are ninth in net rating plus 2.9 13th in offense ninth in defense they are in that group tied for second in the raptor model and they are going to make the playoffs though they have not technically clinched it and in terms of strength of schedule that's not home road and all the other stuff the Sixers actually have one of the easier slates remaining their average opponent winning percentage is 43 percent that's helped by two games against Detroit and Indiana twice so if they can kind of handle business in those that's a, a pretty big base but they do have some big ones left Milwaukee Cleveland on the second night of a back-to-back and Toronto so Phoenix took this one 114-104 on the back of their usual clutch domination it definitely were a number of runs in this one philly led most of the first half and by 10 with a couple minutes left in the first half phoenix closed the first half to get within four 64 60 and then continued the run early third and i I thought the key portion of the game was that end of the first half because joel Embiid had gotten a bunch of guys in foul trouble including deandre ayton and we'll talk about harden in a second but he he got some free throw attempts in the first as well so booker's in foul trouble jay crowder's in foul trouble ayton's in foul trouble at the end of the first and yet the sun still storm back and make it a four-point game by halftime during that period with bismack biombo on the floor javel was out with a non-covid illness in this one campaign was out there some during that period as well uh landry shamit had a really nice game against his former team with 12 points on four seven plus 10 in the game they ran some nice shooting sets for him so that was a big problem for the sixers and the other problem is james harden was two for 11 and that's a, a number that we've seen a lot for him some of his most famous duds have been two for 11 did not make a two-point field goal he's 0 for 6 he again devolved into just flailing into the lane trying to get calls the Suns figured that out eventually and like he really he doesn't have any like a finishing packet right like he doesn't get any extension his finishing package is drawing a foul yeah and i think part of it is because he spent so much time over the years just uh, that's a great point Danny. that that he you know if a guy's body is a little sideways he tries to go through the guy's body he'll bring the ball up with two hands on it like he'll never he never shoots a layup with one hand anymore it's really weird like he's got a floater is okay although that hasn't been as good this year and he hasn't gone to it as much i was really impressed by his floater game with the nets last year and we haven't seen that as much this year that floater game also works well when you have a big alley-oop center in the pick and roll which he doesn't have necessarily so that that shot is not there as much but he doesn't really have like the great euro step package he's got a huge wingspan but you would think he could be you know do some of these joe ingles or kyle anderson style like slow down finishes change speeds a little bit you know luca has that kind of stuff and he just like he goes up with two hands 
on the ball and just shoots a really poor percentage or around the rim if there's any kind of a contest at all and even sometimes when he's got a pretty clear lane he's just missing layups you know a lot of people in philly have thought okay you know sometimes when he plays well it's because the hamstring feels good i'm not sure what that's really based on at least that i've seen maybe there's a story on it that i missed but i'm not sure what that's based on other than just the fact that he's been woefully inconsistent i don't and he hasn't scored 30 i don't think as a sixer yet but he just couldn't get anything going and the suns went on a big run at the start of the fourth when he was out there without Embiid, they had to race Embiid back into the game when they went down 10 and it threatened to get away from him and he just could even against guys who in theory should be able to beat he just wasn't able to get any kind of separation whatsoever it's just a very ugly looking game against a good disciplined defensive team for him to be 14 points nine assists like that's not who they traded for here and and yes they they had to get rid of ben simmons anyway but like james harden just hasn't played well enough against good teams for the philadelphia 76ers to make you think that they're going to do anything in the playoffs. just so we have it in in the record harden has not scored 30 his high is 29 which he has done twice in that win against the Knicks, the second game they played together, and the against the Clippers on Friday. And speaking of James Harden, and there were some good things for the Sixers in this game. We'll get to that. I mean, they did lead against a, a pretty much fully healthy Suns team. The only guy they were missing was Cam Johnson and, and Devale, the two guys they were missing out of their main rotation. Uh, one of the things that's been the case this year is that they are not switching actions involving James Harden and Joel Embiid. Harden is being asked to get over screens when Embiid's man sets him both on and off the ball. However, they do switch one through four. And so Chris Paul started hunting James Harden quite mercilessly. And I thought Harden had moments where he looked okay, but he was just not going to be able to do it consistently. And so Chris Paul knows, hey, if I can get James Harden switched onto me, and then the Suns started also doing a bunch of complex Spain pick and roll stuff to get Harden onto Paul in the Spain pick and roll, and then have Paul go at him if they were even able to communicate well enough on that, which they eventually did. They had a couple of miscommunications early on that way but they would just have Harden's man waiting at the free throw line in the Spain pick and roll or disguise the action a little bit so then of course Chris Paul would then go into his pick and roll game with Harden on him Harden is never going to get over the screen I shouldn't say never he did it a few times which I was impressed by but largely he's not going to and he's going to get fatigued if he has to keep doing that Chris Paul now actually it's so interesting remember the game plan on Chris Paul is like all right force him left force him left force him left because he likes to get to that right elbow jumper he now actually is asking for the screen to go left because he's gotten so good at just snaking back to the right elbow when he's initially forced to his left side and he can go across the formation basically and then know that the guy is going to be trailing him and be having to flash in front of him and not be able to block his shot whereas if he was coming right behind him on the right side of the floor maybe he could bother him from behind a little bit more so he's actually gotten better at that and then because he's kind of going crosswise and he can shoot that jumper at any time from the foul line that gives more time for the roll man to potentially break three underneath or to get a better passing angle to that guy as well and obviously DeAndre Ayton is one of the best at at that so um what else do we need to talk about I I think one of the as somebody who didn't watch this game one of the numbers that stuck out to me you brought up Harden's two of 11 is the number 16 and that's how many minutes Matisse Thibel played in a game against two elite guards and Thibel did commit four fouls but there is this this question about 
how he how he fits in unless Thibel is going to be much more aggressive shooting the ball well he got I'd like to talk about the Keith Bogans and Thibel does get that from time to time where he starts the game starts each half and never comes back in once he's subbed but he also got the Bogans and the Jaron Jackson well actually no he didn't get the Bogans he played at the end of the first half as well but uh he only played 16 minutes he got his fourth foul a couple minutes in and the Jaron Jackson is when you get in foul trouble but then they never put you back in again whether they just forget about you or just think that well you you were fouling too much and so we're just not gonna put you back in and you know I thought Thibel could be a pretty decent matchup against Devin Booker because Booker likes to work into the mid-range and that Thibel could bother his jumpers from behind but they went with Danny Green and Danny Green at least he'll fucking shoot a three right that's the one thing you can say about him and they overtaxed him he played a bunch of minutes or he probably played like 18 minutes in a row in the second half 29 minutes that's probably pretty close to a season high for him and uh but he at least spaces the floor because one of the issues that you run into and phoenix is just so disciplined here is if james harden or tobias harris were on the wing their guy was just standing at the nail to mess up whatever the action was whether it was Embiid trying to work a, on Aiton or maybe it's maxi trying to isolate or a maxi Embiid pick and roll because they know that if you throw it to james harden who's done a few more spot ups this this year when he was with brooklyn but now he's not doing as many or tobias harris that those guys aren't going to just immediately shoot the ball when they're open like they just that's just not something they do they don't have that quick trigger they don't have that mentality they want to assess the defense maybe drive a closeout whatever and so there are a bunch of times when their guy would be helping at the nail the pass would come to either harden or harris harris did have a, a really nice run which we'll talk about in the first half and those guys just aren't going to shoot the ball for right the so i would say if you're gonna put uh harris somewhere maybe put him in the corner you're not going to put james harden in the corner obviously uh now harris was able to take advantage pretty well i mean he's going to be guarded by probably the fourth best defender on the other team going against the starters and then he also was able to get into the post he scored 13 points in a quick run right at the start of the second when they had harden and Embiid off the floor which they did not go to as much in the second half and you know then of course they immediately forgot about him because he's not the most efficient offense maxi i still love his three-point shooting he got up 10 three-point attempts he was very aggressive including in transition but i thought his two-point game and his iso game is particularly against you know he'd be guarded like by a landry shaman or something it really wasn't i thought shaman defended well but he wasn't able to really create a good shot against landry shaman like he doesn't have a lot of moves like he's can go in a straight line he's a really good finisher he gets on top of the basket and he's becoming a better shooter but he doesn't have a lot of shake laterally like he's not able to just put guys in the mix and rise up for an isolation jumper Uh, so that was something that was noteworthy seeing him try to attack guys that i would have thought that he could beat and just not be able to beat them that that was a little weird to me on the good note Embiid had 37 14 and 27 from the field and had seven offensive rebounds he played really hard he was able to we talked about this when talking about the difference between Embiid and Jokic and the center rankings that Embiid i think he's more unstoppable in the post than Jokic and you know Eaton is someone who's been able to at least hold up to where he doesn't get just back down and scored on by Jokic whereas Embiid was it was able to do that and they had to double team and when they didn't late in the game when they were trying to protect the lead Embiid was able to just go right through him Embiid showed off actually a couple of nice left shoulder hook shots in the lane from short range which you don't see a ton of from him but he's got that skill level as well but he also was dealing with the sprained ankle was limping around in the fourth quarter he landed on someone's foot on a play where he had an easy tap in missed it and then had to go get it again and tip it back in and then on the second tip in he landed it might have been Aiton's foot and got like a mild sprained ankle it doesn't look too bad you know we haven't heard anything about it but he definitely was limping around 
on the rest of the game um and despite uh, all of these issues the Sixers were within three late they go on a nice run Maxi hit a couple of threes and then Chris Paul just like clinically closed them out late again just like more Suns clutchness they end up winning by 10 they, they won the last five minutes by seven points Paul just killed them in pick and roll it was it was him rather than Devin Booker who did a lot more of his damage in the first half and finished with 35 points because you know it's not like the Sixers have anyone to guard him either so I, I just ultimately as I watched this other than Joel Embiid it didn't seem like the Sixers had players who were in the class of the Sun quite honestly and uh I, I just just seeing James Harden have another complete dud against a good team like I I don't know what you can do about that it's just there have been so many of these already with the Sixers and you're just maybe it's the hamstring maybe he's not that good anymore I mean whatever it is they need James Harden to be playing like a top 10 player in the NBA and he just hasn't been that so far for the Sixers big game against the Bucks in a couple days that could help cl- clarify some of this yeah that'll be a fascinating one uh let's talk about Miami real quick before we go actually they are 47 and 28 have lost four straight now as we mentioned at the outset so four and six now since the last 15 and 16 they had been looking really good before that worth noting that Tyler Hero did he play against the Nets I, he didn't yes play, yeah so so he was back and that didn't help them I mean, they trailed by as many as 37 in that game and they had a bunch of guys who were questionable Jimmy is always always seems to be dealing with something the biggest problem has been the offense they have uh, particularly in the clutch and just their overall half court offense with Butler Adebayo and Lowry on the floor has not been great and even adding Hero hasn't totally solved that uh they are 12th on offense and fourth on defense projecting to tie for the second seed with 51 wins but they're gonna have to actually play better um anything you want to talk about here as far as just elaborating on their struggles this week yes I think it's worth kind of painting the full picture and looked like they had a glide path to the number one seed in the Eastern Conference then they so started out the week losing to that shorthanded Sixers in the game we did for the NBA strategy stream then they lost at home to the Warriors when Steph Clay and Draymond were all out that was the game that had the Jimmy Butler Udonis Haslam Spolstra confrontation looked like they were going to have a bounce back opportunity and it looked that way into the fourth quarter Miami had a 17 point lead on the Knicks with 11 minutes to go then they gave up a 38 to 13 run to lose by eight including yeah. Emmanuel quickly this having... was still like you know the Knicks didn't have Julius Randle in that game this was like all the Knicks young dudes basically right. in and this game like a big swing I don't in think that they was... even had Barrett on the floor for a lot of it quickly had eight points in under a minute um he had two threes and, and two free throws and uh, and right after that Miami missed 11 of 12 shots a day later they get worked by the Nets as you mentioned they trail by 37 at one point the good news for Miami is that even at 47 and 28 even losing those last four games they're still very much in the mix if they can turn this around and of those four teams the Bucks the Celtics the Heat and the Sixers Miami has the second easiest remaining schedule in terms of win winning percentage helped by Miami only having one remaining game against those four teams and that's they play at Boston on Wednesday the problem is it wasn't like Miami lost all of these four games to really good teams playing really well they did lose to the Nets but shorthanded Sixers shorthanded Warriors and and shorthanded Knicks doesn't exactly bode well if you want kind of the other picture of it Miami they play Sacramento then at Boston then at Chicago and at Toronto as a back-to-back this week a little bit easier after that but not the easiest way to write the ship and writing the ship is important overall more just kind of to have some momentum I, I still think I would favor them you know if they even if they fall to the four there's some Brooklyn related stuff that could potentially shift things but a bigger concern for me in some ways is 
I started thinking about, are there rotation adjustments that Eric Spolstra can make to shift the dynamic and kind of to just get things unsettled and getting Tyler Hero back? Sure, that gives them more options. It has been a weird, stark reminder of how dependent Miami is on Hero offensively, despite some of his limitations. And despite having, you know, Jimmy Butler and Kyle Lowry, it just doesn't look right when Tyler Hero's unavailable. But Spo did go to one of the other adjustments that I had identified. We talked about this at length, not only on the strategy stream, but on the podcast we did afterwards, where they had been using Markeith Morris as their backup center. And Morris brings value as a floor spacer, and some of those lineups can have some limited offensive players. But the problem is he doesn't clean up messes defensively. And Miami is often, when they're in their backup lineups, they're playing guys that are going to create some messes. And so having somebody, whether it's Dwayne Dedman or possibly even Omar Yurtsevin back there, just gives them more of a defensive foundation. And Markeith Morris isn't going to have the ball in his hands enough. He's not going to be dominant enough offensively. This isn't like an Ennis Canner, or sorry, Ennis Freedom situation where he's so good offensively that at least in certain circumstances, you could make the argument that the trade-off is worth it. And Morris at power forward, yeah, you can make a lot of that work. You have somebody else there. And they had Deadman and Yurtsevin each played some in the Brooklyn game. I believe Deadman played before things got out of hand. And I, I think that just makes a lot more sense. Yeah, I think so. I, I would rather go Caleb Martin at the four and some of these groups with Deadman at the five it, just Morris he's not really he can't maybe he could have switched you know five years ago in his career but he can't really do that anymore and the Heat also really... aren't necessarily playing good switching lineups when their starters are off the floor no that, that's a good point and yeah I think they just Marquise Morris worked hard to get back he's been out for four months they signed him he's a proud veteran they wanted to give him a try but I think and Spo, I think, has realized this, but it's not like it righted the ship that he's just, they need to start playing better and they can't mess around with this anymore. And what about Victor Oladipo? I mean, he's another guy who they've brought in here. Hero has been out. Gabe Vincent has been out as well. So it's not like they are playing him over more established guys who have really been the ones who have helped them necessarily. But the early returns on him are kind of, you know, about, although he's now ostensibly healthy, about what he was since the injury definitely disconcerting on the Oladipo front so far 45 percent true shooting on in his minutes hurt a lot by shooting 25 percent from three taking five over five three-point attempts per 36 minutes so that's pretty high volume for somebody who's doing that poorly and concerningly Oladipo under 50 percent from two in fact Oladipo has only been above 50 percent on two-point shots once in his career and that was that 17-18 season when he was third team all NBA and that season was also he had 58 percent true shooting was the only time Oladipo has ever been over 53% true shooting. He can be disruptive defensively, but Oladipo would have to make jump shots at some reliable rate in order to to think that he can do that. And Oladipo still just kind of how he fits in as a lower usage player on a team, especially when he's not shooting very well. I think that's a real challenge and also a reminder of how much they need Gabe Vincent. And the other thing that Spolstra might turn to, and this is what I would do. Well, quickly on, on Oladipo, sure. by the way, negative seven and seven, 7.5 net rating when he's on the floor defense has been totally fine they've forced a billion turnovers but the which has been has in Oladipo's really strength struggled. for a while yeah yeah but the offense uh, has really struggled for sure I mean the, the idea of him and Hero playing together uh, is an interesting one but I really I, I mean I honestly feel and, 
and we'll see you know Oladipo isn't going to get attacked defensively the way some guys are so maybe there is a place for him at the two because their other twos Hero and Duncan Robinson are going to get worked but I I mean they have to have either Hero or Robinson out there because they can't just play Oladipo at the two with the rest of that group that they have because they'll have nowhere near enough shooting like Kyle Lowry would be the only guy you can shoot in uh, in that that group if they put Oladipo at two so what's your ultimate solution then for these guys Gabe Vincent's still missing time with that toe contusion he's now missed four straight so without assuming for the sake of this that Vincent is out I would keep the starting five the same but then lean heavily on a narrower rotation hero Struess, Deadman, and some Caleb Burton I like Caleb Burton quite a bit and no Morris at center really limits their defense potential by the way the stats on that 134 possessions with Marky Morris at center Heat are giving up a 126 opponent offensive rating yeah that's not great and the heat i understand as you mentioned the pressures and the idea that morris missed so much time with whiplash and sympathetic and want to give him an opportunity that's the other downside of losing all these games against beatable opponents is that you don't have the latitude anymore because these games matter now and a week ago we thought they wouldn't even if they had won two of these four they probably would not matter but now they do all right well we will get to the rest of the teams in the east tomorrow got a big week coming up here we got point guard rankings we got to get to got some gamers we got to finish up the mailbag this this is when we're going to start kicking it into high gear here on dunked on prime so glad to have you all on board as subscribers if you are on the free pod give it a shot no the next month is going to be one of the best times to be a subscriber so if you haven't subscribed yet give it a shot for a month see if you like it going into the first and second round of the playoffs we got the play in we got the finals the draft free agency over the next three four months so give give it a shot if you haven't tried it yet link is in the description of this podcast and we'll talk to you all tomorrow on dunked on prime till then at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every goal every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period whatever the sport whatever the moment it's never ordinary at bet 365 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.